This week on the Off the Crossbar podcast, the NLL goes outdoors as the stadium showdown happens in San Diego. Patty and I will talk about all the things going on in week 14. We'll recap week 13. We'll talk with Steve Govett and Brett Dobson, plus another round of box bets. All that and more on OTCB. I am an Good evening and welcome, ladies and gentlemen, alongside Pat Gregoire. My name is Teddy Jenner, and boy, have we got an absolute beauty for you tonight. Ball up top, lets it go, bouncer's good! Keegan Ball picks his spot, and the Warriors have a power play goal. Bouncers will go, especially <laughs> coming from the stick of Keegan Ball. Georgia four for four. Right on cue, Andrew Q. Oh man, now you're just on a roll tonight. Gets his fourth goal. All of Andrew Q's goals have been on power plays tonight. Wagner, the show me fake. Wagner stepping all the way in, and John Wagner scores! Show me some more 77. Wow. LA to Chicago, he just made a, a name for himself. Trying to set up. Here comes Ryan Lee. He's got the alley shot. Score! There it is. A signature dive by Lee. He's got his second of the night, and Colorado has a two-goal lead restored. Digby backing in. That one's picked up. Here comes Gillies. Gillies trying to win it. Gillies scores! Craig, this game just had to end. A transition goal, didn't it? What is good? Welcome back. And how the heck are you, lacrosse fans? This is the Off the Crossbar podcast on the Lacrosse Flash Podcast Network, SoundCloud, Spotify, Apple Music, wherever you get your audio and podcast from. Thanks for joining us. He's Pat Gregoire. My name is Teddy Jenner. Find us on Twitter at P. Greggy, at Teddy Jenner, and of course the show is at OTCB underscore podcast or on Instagram at OTCB podcast. It was a quiet week 13, but a lot of teams made a lot of noise. And you just heard some of the highlights from this past weekend, including the Brad Gillies OT winner in the game of the weekend between the Nighthawks and Riptide. Man, what a crazy weekend. Patty, what's going on, brother? It has been quite the whirlwind for myself. Um, I'll be quite honest. So obviously everyone knows was, uh, was over in Estonia for a work seminar. I get back, hop on a bird, you know, just a f- four days later, head to Saskatchewan, which it was for reason, <laughs> but it was uh, awesome. Uh, great, great crowd. Um, always love going to, to Saskatel. Unreal game, uh, which we'll get to in a bit. Come back on Sunday, late Sunday night, because there are slim pickings when it comes to to, to flights. To yeah, I'm surprised you got out, by the way. Yeah, and also we could probably get into that as well. Yeah, we um, will. I'm hopping on a bird, uh, actually, probably while you're listening to this right now. I'm, I'm up, wheels up to Halifax. So it has been a whirlwind, but I wouldn't change it for anything. I'm so happy 
to have the opportunity to broadcast these games. Um, I'm happy to collect my Air Canada miles. Yeah. And uh, yeah, it's 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 been it's been crazy. But I mean, you have been experiencing this pretty much for the first half of the season. Yeah, it's your now turn. it's all, all our turn. It's crazy how the TSN schedules work. Uh, I think in March I have one weekend off, which is which is nuts. But I'll take yeah. it. I'm excited. Well, I, I had what. 10 of the first 12 weeks. And one of those weeks was Christmas. I was like back in the NLL days. It was <laughs> yeah. crazy. Yeah. Um, we will get into all of the action. Uh, some news of the week before we get into last week's games. And then uh, to our guest this week, Steve Govett and Brett Dobson. Uh, Jake Fox on the move again. Third team in what? A month? Less than a month? Yeah. Uh, he goes from New York to Panther City. Uh, we always kind of thought that he might have been a a quote-unquote throw-in to make the Callum Crawford deal possible. But now Panther City decided, you know what? We we have what we have. We're good with what we got. And they move him to Albany. And it's a nice little pickup for Albany, getting a, a big body guy that is, you know, close from the area, Ottawa, Albany, kind of close-ish, um, just on the other side of the border. What do you make of this? Capital region to capital region for, right? for uh, well done. And I think this is a great move for, for both sides. Really didn't have to give up much for Albany. Um, from the team standpoint, they get a Canadian in the mix, a guy that's grown up playing box lacrosse. Because let, let's totally be honest, what we saw from Albany at the start of the year, super impressive. Yeah. Um, the offense was clicking. It has hit a snag. And I do truly believe it's because they have a lack of experience at the high level in, in box across. Sure. Kieran McArdle's played for a while, but Connor Kelly, small sample size. Yeah. Um, John Piatelli, he's been great, uh, but a rookie Tanner Thompson. Uh, he is, he's a true box guy. Uh, now you throw Fox in there, another true box lacrosse player. So, of course, you want the blend of the athletic, high-skilled Americans, but you still need those guys yeah. that have run a, a Canadian box system their whole lives. So I like it. You mentioned his size. You mentioned um, you know, some familiarity with the roster. Mm-hmm. I, and for him personally, it's, it's a fresh start, and he's going to get way more touches. Uh, that move, when it happened – it looked great for him, and then Callum comes in, and then yeah. it's like, okay, well, now he's back at the bottom of the depth chart where he was in New York. Here, he's going to have a, a legit chance to be like a number one, a number two righty on that offense, and I'm excited for him. I think, because what, it's Kelly and Thompson on that side? Yeah. Right? Yeah, like, I, if Jake Falk puts as much effort into his game as he does – his TikToks, which are fantastic. I really think he can become a number one guy for them as this season goes along. Like, I think he can put up some serious points. He can add toughness. He can add some grit, some dirtiness. Uh, He gets the inside. I I think this is actually an outstanding pickup by Glenn Clark after what was a debacle of a weekend for the Albany Firewolves. Again, we are going to get to that, so stay tuned. But the big news of the week, it's the stadium showdown down in San Diego. Maybe even bigger, okay, kidding aside, maybe even bigger, you and I are going to have some little fun on Monday night with the first over, first ever NLL watch party 
Um, this is a cool, you know, it's like a Manning cast. It's like your um, Dangle podcast where he does his watch alongs. We're going to have a lot of fun with this. We got Jack Hanna coming by. Uh, Kevin Crowley is going to stop in. Um, I'm excited for this. This is going to be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's something that you and I have kind of talked about for a while. And to be honest, we've done this before just um, internally, though, with, yeah. with uh, some other lax flashers. Of course, probably will be a little more PG-13. But again, mm-hmm. it, this this is kind of where sports are going. The secondary screen option is something that um, it has become very popular. Uh, it's been something that, you like you said, all those other outlets that are doing it. And I, I, I'm excited to bring another option to fans. And, and again, we're not doing, we're not just doing our own secondary broadcast where no, we're doing play by it's that's yeah, exactly. So what we're going to, it's just going to be like if you and a buddy are sitting on your couch, watching a game, talking about what's going on, but also talking about other things going on in all. You mentioned bringing on some guests, talking to them, picking their brains. So, um, a unique, a different way to watch the game. And uh, I don't think this is going to be something that the NLL has every single week um, in future years, but I would love, to, you know, if all goes well, uh, I would love to see more of this uh, as an opportunity for those secondary screen options. And I think if it goes well, not just from our standpoint, but maybe a, a fan standpoint in Philadelphia, if Monday nights become a thing, this then becomes something that we can oh, yeah. maybe do a little more regularly. Cause this is really the only reason it worked out is because neither of us are calling a game or traveling on Monday night. It just, it was the perfect storm for this to happen. And thank you to everybody behind the scenes that have yeah. been working with us to make this happen. And, and hopefully you'll join. It'll be on ESPN plus it'll be on TSM plus it'll be just an, an extra NLL stream for the game that you were going to be watching Philadelphia and Toronto, we'll have the screen on the side and we'll have our faces on the side and it'll be like watching the Manning cast. We'll have a lot of fun. We'll tell some stories, uh, have some laughs and hopefully get a, a fantastic game between two teams who are playing twice that weekend. I think yeah, it adds to Right. It, it, oh, it certainly it certainly does. It's it, but it is in a back to back. It's not like yeah. these guys are playing Saturday, Sunday. Friday, they both get Saturday. Sunday off, which is good. Yes, they get they get the Sunday off, which helped. But hey, it's it's still it's it's going to be unique. It's something that you know probably none of these guys have ever done. So I, I I'm you know you you mentioned a great point. Like if this is something that works, um, I would love to see Monday be sprinkled in after the right. NFL season. We've already talked about it at, at nauseum. We need to see more Sunday games. Once the NFL year is done, maybe maybe Monday should be sprinkled in there too. Obviously, everything is schedule-oriented, and thankfully it's all worked out. So uh, that game is on Monday. Hopefully you're going to join us for the first ever NLL watch party. Um, let's go back to week 13 quickly before we get to Steve Govett because uh, we have a lot to talk about with Steve. Um Brett Dobson will join us later on the show. They get their first win in an absolute blowout over Albany. Uh, Lyle has 12. Andrew Q has his best game as a swarm. Dauber gets his first win. Um, I want to focus. Yes, it is an incredible win for Georgia. We all saw it coming at some point. We talked about it at nauseum on this show. The last couple of weeks, we thought that this was going to be the week that they finally got that W. The fact that Albany started Justin Getty 
sent alarm bells off in my brain. That's either okay. Maybe Dougie was sick. Maybe there was something going on that Getty had to be thrust in that starting position. But as a team that was struggling, I felt that Albany needed to win that game. And Dougie generally gives them the best chance. Him not starting really kind of lends me to believe he doesn't last long in Albany, if even towards the deadline. Like, I can see him going... We already know Halifax made a play for Dougie at one point a couple years ago in the UFA battle where they signed him to a contract and all we had to match it. We know he has a relationship with Pat Merrill. And all signs point to Chris O'Reglieri being the guy, but he's not quite there yet. And it probably means that Frankie is going to be on the outside. So what if they make a play for Dougie to bring Dougie in to help bridge the gap for O-Ring? And they move on from Frank. Like, did it not concern you that Dougie didn't start that game? It really did. The red flags were raised. The alarm bells were, you know, were sounding. And I think a lot of people, their, their brains kind of went to there. And I would say mine did as well. But after thinking more and more about this, I, I don't know if this was more of a message sent to the team or sent to to Doug, or maybe we're galaxy braining ourselves. And in fact, as we know, Jameson has been, you know, sick already this year, dealing with some stuff, um, nothing serious or anything. But, an ear, right? or ear infection? Yeah, some ear, so it's some ear, ear issues with, you know, um, which as a goalie, obviously, if you, if you don't have your balance and your equilibrium is all off, yeah. that's only going to play a role. I don't know if that's what it was. Um, but I, I don't know if I want to jump to the conclusion that they're done or they're thinking of moving on. But with that being said, I think teams would be not doing them the, themselves a service. If, if your goaltending situation is not shored up and a team like you mentioned, San Diego, which it seems like it is, to at least pick up the phone and start the discussion with Klein Clark. I don't know if they really want to part ways with him, but that move certainly caused some concerns for some folks. And to go to, let's say San Diego, you know, I think there is more people panicking or worrying if this goaltending situation is shored up than what inside that locker room and inside that I truly do believe that they have a lot of faith in, in Origlieri. He is the guy, he's the guy. Is he the guy right now? I don't know, but I think they're more confident in him being the guy right now. I I, I really do. I I think, you know, they're six and two. I know. I, I, we always forget that they're six and two. They're, they're first in the West. They're they're fine, and you know we'll we'll talk we'll talk to Steve Govett uh, a little bit later. But I think they're more concerned with the fact that they haven't played a full sixty minutes yep. in a game yet than maybe some goalie controversy. And that's just you know that that's that's my spin on it. And that, but at, at the same time, I would not be shocked if some GMs across the league saw Doug was not starting. Yeah, I think they, they probably thought what we thought. Like, whoa, right. whoa, whoa, why isn't Dougie starting? Pick up that, call Glenn, hit him on the uh, Apple Watch, 
mid game. <laughs> trade done. Um, so yeah, Swarm get their first win. Shout out Dauber. Uh, we'll talk to him in a little bit about about that feeling. Uh, the Warriors with a massive win. The game you were at in Sastown. Baller gets eleven. Boldy comes in and has just an unreal game. Um, Church nineteen shots, zero goals. Very concerning. Um, but finally, Vancouver gets a full sixty minutes and showed what they can do against one of the best teams in the NLL. It was a a very impressive performance from start to finish for Vancouver. Like throughout the entire week, talking to them, talking, you know, even just being around them at morning shoot around. um, This is not a team that has the vibe of a one and or now two and nine, but at the time one win. Agreed. Agreed. Very positive. You know, vibes are high. A lot of chatter and a, a lot of sticking to it. And I, I got to give credit to Troy accordingly because talking to pretty much talking to him, but also talking to all everyone in the leadership group, some of the younger players on the team, it seems like the message has completely been changed and that, you know, we see Troy accordingly as this hard nosed, old school type of coach. He's changed. He's completely changed his tune. And he realizes, and he said it, like, I'd be crazy. I can't be yelling at these guys at one win. They know what mistakes they're making. It doesn't make any sense. So he he said, and it's been a challenge for him. He's the guy that wants to win more than, you know, (laughs) most people on planet Earth. He said, you know, Pat, Ash, like... You know, for the first time in my coaching career, I've had to not worry about wins and losses and focus on the wins inside of the game. And I think they've done that. And for them to worry more about the little things, it has allowed them to be successful in that game because they were dominant on loose balls. You know, they seemed like they were the hungrier team. Straight up. Yeah, I agree. And I think that totally came because this is a team that hasn't given up because their coach still believes in them. And sure, they're probably not going to make the playoffs this year, but they're focused on the big picture. And the big picture is, you know, after this year. And kudos to them. Kudos to that coaching staff. And um, that was the best 60 minutes of lacrosse we've seen from Vancouver. And it's not even close. Yeah. Um, Let's let's pair two uh, losses together. The loss by Saskatchewan, the loss by Calgary. Blips on the radar or and 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 teams maybe getting caught up in the trap game mentality or concern? I think it's just a blip on the radar. I think it's certainly something that they're going to be shaking their heads at later on in the season. But I, I think both those teams are, are a lot better than what their records show, show, the teams they lost to, I should say. Yeah. Like Las Vegas is on fire right now. And and the Warriors, um, the way they played last game, that's not a team that had one one loss or, or yeah. one coming one in. Win, yeah. I don't think there should be a cause for concern. Calgary didn't have pace, which um that it would be concerning uh going long, you know, long term if he's not gonna be there. Um, but I think it's a blip on the radar. If 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 we see them drop games in their next contest, then yeah. yeah cause for concern but you're not going to be on a run like that forever 
Uh, Jack Hanna had another five-point shimmer with three goals in transition for Calgary. Uh, it, it was a fantastic game. My parents were there. Uh, they had a blast. Um, so Vegas didn't exactly come in hot, but they are now hot and really trying to make a push in the West. Um, talked about guys coming back. Well, how about Ryan Lee? Like, hadn't played since game one of the West Finals against San Diego. Nope, before that. He got hurt before that, I believe. It was the semifinal game, right? I believe so, yeah. So, hadn't played since May of last year. And I saw him when we did the ESPN game in January. He was itching to get back. He thought he could have come back then, but, you know, got to go through the proper protocol and everything and he but he was itching and holy shit did he have a game he didn't have the first step it was obvious he was maybe a little tentative wasn't as quick off the jump but he still had the ability to get underneath still had the outside shot his vision never left obviously because he went two and eight dropping 10 points in his first game back um, w- what a crazy performance by Ryan Lee. So happy for him that he was able to come back. And, you know, you mentioned obviously off the hop, he, he didn't have that same, you know, first step, but as the game progressed, it looked like he was fine. Um, that yeah. one goal he scored, beat his man underneath, jumped across the creek like that. That is just vintage Ryan Lee. And, and you can see after his first goal, like, he was getting he was getting emotional. Like I know he's probably gassed and tired, um, but you could tell he was probably like oh, that felt so good. Um, you know, I'm back. And mm-hmm. good news for the mammoth because they've been dealing with so many injuries this year already. Um, to get him back, they're back in the mix of things, man. Five and five. I know they're they're outside of the playoff picture right now, but man, this this West playoff race is going to be a dog fight. I can't yeah, wait, dude. Yeah. I think, yes, they're, what, a half game back of Panther City, but they now have the season series on Panther City. That's why that win was mm-hmm. so important for Colorado because they do have a game in hand on Panther City, so they'll be able to make that up at some point. And if they end up tied, they have that tiebreaker. So that is a, a, a massive win for everybody um, and, and a huge game for that whole organization uh, you could see it in their faces. You could see it, what it meant to Ryan Lee. I jokingly texted him before the game, you know, congratulating him on getting back. And I said, hey, how about a sock trick tonight? He goes, wouldn't that be nice? Well, I think he'll take two and eight. Um, <laughs> the final game of the weekend, and we all had to save this thing for last because it was the flash game of the week. And I know our crew had an absolute blast clipping it and watching it and taking notes. What an instant classic between the Nighthawks and Riptide in a incredible overtime game where Harley and Orleman are like, oh, you made that save? Watch me make <laughs> this stupid-ass save in transition on a breakaway. Like, it was crazy what those two young kids were doing between the pipes in just a wild-ass game. Second longest game in NL history. Um, and a big part was because of those two goalies. Like, uh, 
Stephen Orleman finished with 53 saves. I think Hartley had 44, both of them multiple breakaway saves um, in OT. But it was the hero, Brad Gillies. Um, NLL Fish. NLL Fish. Um, the man who calls Rochester home now. Yeah. Three goals. Uh, had a bunch of loose balls, a bunch of turnover. Like that that goal for him to see that ball up in the air and he just took off, picked it off and went down. Like as soon as I saw that happen, I was like game over. Um, <laughs> I was so upset. I couldn't watch this game live. Um, you guys are right it. on air or about to go on air. Uh, we were on air. Yeah. We were on air. Yeah. So I watched it back uh, a little bit on the flight and man, this, this guy, <laughs> As great as a performance this was for Rochester to get it done, the Riptide, I feel so bad for this team. Yeah. They're getting so, so close. They just can't close games out. You know, lose to a goal by Halifax the week before. Go to overtime against one of the top teams in the East. Like, they're there. They are right there. And this was the one game where you, can, you can't say, like, oh, you know, goaltending defense – just not there. The offense is buzzing, but you know, the defense of goalie goaltending to be better. No, this game was the reason why they were in it is because the goaltending, the defense was so strong. Um, they're close though, man. Yeah. They have they a, sure a pretty, they've pretty favorable schedule this upcoming month. I still think they're just too far out of it at this point, but I think they can finish strong, um, finish on a high note, at least maybe thrust themselves into somewhat of a pseudo playoff race and you can build going forward for the future. Like you had a bit of a hot take on them. Didn't you? I did. I did. Um, so as I mentioned, they have a pretty favorable schedule coming up. They play the wings. So at Wells Fargo, then they play the wings the next week at home play the, the Firewolves at home, play the Swarm at home, and then the last day of the month, they go to Georgia. So three Georgia home, twice. two on the road. Yeah. Against? Wings twice, Albany once. Georgia twice. Georgia. Those are all below 500 teams. Now, I think you split against the Wings. I think they can beat Albany. They've They've owned Albany this season. And March 25th, March 31st, I know Georgia's have played a great game. They still only have one win. Yeah, they're probably way better than what the record shows. Yeah. But at that point, there could be some key players no longer in that lineup. I think John Arlotta might unload on a couple of their veteran players. So that, that could be yeah. two wins there. Yeah. They could and should be one or at best, at best, two games below 500 at, yeah. when all is said and done, when the dust settles in March. Now, does that get you into a race with, with Philly and Halifax? Certainly does with Philly because Philly's yeah. three and five. If you split with Philly, you're right there. Mm -hmm. Halifax, who knows? Halifax has a little bit of a tough stretch playing the Bandits twice. The Rock, I think, once in that stretch as well. They could insert themselves into the I, – again, I think it's they're too far behind, but I think they could close the gap a lot quicker 
than a lot of people think. Well, they're they play the same amount. Of, so just perspective: Halifax is five on five, New York is two and eight. So they're three games, full games behind Halifax. So they have to find a way to make that up, and they've already lost season series with Halifax. So they 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 have to surpass them. So they have to get four more wins than the Thunderbirds do down the stretch. That's going to be a tough task, but so you never know. Here, here is Halifax's stretch. Home to Buffalo this weekend. At Buffalo next weekend. Then on the 18th, they host Toronto. On the 25th, they go to Philadelphia. It's a tough little stretch there. That is, that is not easy. Again, is it enough to close the gap? I don't know. But yeah. on the other side with Philadelphia, they go this weekend, Riptide, Monday against Toronto, as we know. Yeah. They have the two 11th, double headers, I think. Yeah, yeah. The, the 11th, they go to New York. So another opportunity there. Then they host Georgia, go to Rochester. That's the double header, Saturday, Sunday. So at the so home to Georgia and then at Rochester. Yep. Yeah. And then the following weekend play Halifax at home. That's a tough stretch too. Like that's not yeah. easy either. But I think there's there's like a there's time off between that game though, right? Between or there's, there's, they play before that Halifax game, there's they have like a week off, don't they? Uh no, that's that's the the next week. It's Sunday the so they got the doubleheader the 18th, 19th and then the following yeah. week, the March 25th weekend. Is, okay, uh, what's their next game after that, though? April 2nd uh, oh, against Rochester. For some reason, I thought they had a bye. Anyway, yeah. we're rambling. Um, but I do think that that is a definite possibility. And You go on a run, a midseason run, like this is the perfect time to do it, leading into the trade deadline. You can definitely cause a stir and put a, a wrench into things. But if the playoffs did start today, didn't change from last week at all. Mm-hmm. Um, Buffalo versus Halifax, Toronto versus Rochester in the East, San Diego versus Panther City, Calgary versus Saskatchewan. But we were talking about the East. The West is an absolute muddle. San Diego at <laughs> the top at six and two, Calgary seven and four, and then Saskatchewan five and four, Panther City six and five, Colorado five and five, Vegas four and five, and then Vancouver at two and nine. So. If we kind of put Vancouver in that New York situation, Georgia situation, maybe too little, too late. Vegas has gate two games in hand on Panther City, and they're two games back. Like they could go keep if they keep this run going, they could find their way into this playoff conversation. If Saskatchewan sort maybe stumbles, if even if San Diego stumbles, you know, Vegas is only two wins behind Vegas or behind San Diego. Like we are far from deciding anything. And I think this is the best the Western conference has looked in quite some time. And I'm here for it. Um, Thumbs up, thumbs down. You have a great one. And I'm so happy that you chose this one for your thumbs up. So when I uh, was heading out to Saskatchewan, I get on the flight and, you know, we're, we're Toronto, 
to Saskatoon. So everyone knows there's a decent amount of Ontario guys um, on that rush roster. Mm-hmm. So seeing, you know, you see the likes of, uh, of Rubish, um, you see Matthews, you see Keenan, you see GM Keenan. And then I see Ryan Barnable walking and, Oh, okay. Maybe, maybe he's traveling with the team. Maybe he's close. And, you know, I walking out to our, our cab, talking to Derek Keenan, I mentioned, Oh, I saw Ryan Barnables. Is, is he close to go? And he just gives a smirk and he says, <laughs> talk to me after morning shoot around. So sure enough, he's out there full gear. Looks great. Keenan lets us know he he's ready to go. He's going to go. And I was so fired up. You know, I've seen a lot of him play, you know, with Whitby, um, he unfortunately got hurt in the last game near the end of their last preseason game. And luckily though, the injury didn't seem, or it wasn't as bad as they yeah. first seemed. And he played his first game and within his, maybe his first or his second shift, he scores a goal. Finished first off with three first, first shot, first goal finished with three cause turnovers. They only had him down for two loose balls, which he had more than that. No yeah. doubt. He was an absolute machine. And if you followed the Whippy Warriors, if you followed Brooklyn Lacrosse Club, you would not be surprised because this is just the type of player he is. Such a high motor, such a high lacrosse IQ. And for what he lacks in size, he makes up in those those categories. And it's great to see him literally hit the ground running yeah. because we thought we weren't going to see him at all this year. And just goes to show you like this rush team. Yeah. They have their vets that, that, that core that have been a lot wrong for around for a long time, the rookies and the young guys that are contributing at such a high rate just goes to show you that Derek Keenan is an absolute wizard and continues to build an unreal roster. When we were doing the Calgary Saskatchewan game, uh, Keenan and I talked and we were talking about Barnable and he's like, he's close, man. And when he gets out there, you're going to be impressed because obviously Derek Keenan knew a lot about him being a Whitby guy. Raved about him, raved about him. And then I talked to Jimmy Quinlan about him and Jimmy was over the moon about what he was going to bring. And we mentioned this a while ago, like, you know, with the prospects of losing Corbeil, losing Dilks, losing Rubish, they lost uh, Cornwall. They've lost uh, Midsky over the past few years. The fact that, like you said, Derek Keenan is able to find these guys. Like he got Boudreaux and Barnable back to back in that draft yeah. a couple years ago. Like he just is able to, just he's not worried about especially when you're middle of the that those first few picks he doesn't worry about best available or any of that he is what is best for my team and looking forward and he's just so incredible at it and yeah i think i i I don't know if it was his first shift or not i would like we'd have to probably go back and find comb fine tooth comb that first two minutes well technically it wasn't because he started on so he 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 was on the uh yeah, he was on the ball year. team yeah, <laughs> yeah. yeah. nice little touch there too i like that but yeah. um first shot first goal like it, it doesn't get any better than that so congratulations to ryan barnable getting back in the national cross league massive thumbs up uh my thumbs up we kind of talked about it off the top with our watch party um some awesome initiatives 
with the National Lacrosse League uh, this weekend. Uh, the stadium showdown at Snapdragon Stadium is going to be incredible. It, it, it's going to be like put aside the fact that they're only like using a quarter of the stadium at the end for where they're setting up the arena and all that. And just allow yourself to watch and enjoy the cinematic broadcast because it is going to be a broadcast like no other we've seen in the National Lacrosse League. Most games that we do for TSN are what, Patty? A seven to 10 camera broadcast. Whereas, you know, some of the independent broadcasts in our league are like a four or five camera broadcast. Mm-hmm. There is going to be a spider cam at this <laughs> lacrosse game for the National Lacrosse League. This is going to be the most intense broadcast we have ever seen and most beautifully choreographed and well shot and well done. Allow yourself just to enjoy it for the experience. They're going to have an incredible fan base there. They're going to put people as best they can to fill what they've got. And so far when we were looking at seats, there's a lot of tickets sold for this game. Yeah. I just love the fact that the NLL is trying to go like staying true to who we are and what we do. But also add some of these little wrinkles in and little pops of awesomeness into the season. This has been Steve Govett's brainchild for a while now. And the fact that we're going to get this in a sunny Snapdragon Stadium is awesome. The fact that we're doing the watch party is is so awesome, so cool. I'm, I'm You and I were both thrilled that the NLL gave us this opportunity to do this when we approached them with the idea. Mm-hmm. But I just like that Brett Frude and the Board of Governors and the people that are working behind the scenes are just continually focused on the goal of continually making us the best, but also saying that we need to try and do some different things from time to time. So uh, I'm super stoked for what's going to happen this weekend and for some more interesting things that, that are coming down the pipeline. The broadcast is something that, of course, obviously I would love to be in the stadium. Like it would be great to be at that game. And uh, if you're in the area, there are some tickets still available. So I would, uh, I would definitely tell you to, to get on that and, and get to Snapdragon Stadium because the setup looks really cool. But if you don't have the luxury of, of making it to SoCal and, and going to the game, enjoy the broadcast because, yeah. like you said, this is going to be – this will be the most extensive NLL broadcast we've ever seen, um, and I'm excited for it. It's, you're going to see some stuff that you've never seen, that you've only seen in, in NFL broadcasts. Like, it is top tier, and it's awesome, and kudos to Joe Tsai, uh, Steve Govett, the NLL, Brett for everyone for fully buying it yeah. because this is a huge event. You could easily half ass this event. Yeah. They have done nothing but go all in, and I'm stoked for it. Yeah, it, this this isn't just something that you you throw together on a whim. You have to plan everything. Like I said, when we after we get the thumbs down, just listen to a lot of the logistics that that has to go into this. When we talk with Steve Govett about you know boards and turf and 
hopefully not having to have a backup plan and everything else that goes into it. Um, just, just an unbelievable endeavor by, by everybody involved. And obviously again, you'll hear a huge shout out to Cam Holden, uh, who was on Yeoman's work behind the scenes. Um, thumbs down. What you got? So I, I don't want to be negative because oh, God, you can't, so- you can't say that in a thumbs down section. <laughs> I, I don't because there's so many great positive things to to so I don't so the, I don't know if that necessarily is a thumbs down, but it's going to be a moment for me to maybe say something that again like I think I, I've been kind of wanting to say, but I I'll just say it. Yeah, the soapbox is yours, Pat. Perfect. Okay, PLL Championship Series is done. We know how stupid the timing was. We know that there needs to be better synergy between the two. Let's just stop shitting on it. Yeah. Because at the end of the day, it's still lacrosse. It still was on ESPN and it's done. It's over. It happened already. So like the fact that we're still a week out, still seeing people shit on the league, shit on like, it's done. Let's move on. We've, we have, we know that product would be a lot better if, if Lyle Thompson, Tom Schreiber, GFT, if Dane Smith, whoever, we know sixes would be a lot better. We really do know that. You don't need to remind everyone what's done is done. It happened. Do you think, I think Paul Rabel probably would prefer those guys to be playing. Yeah, I would imagine as much. Was it was it a great timing that he put it during on the season? Absolutely not. Am I thrilled with that? Absolutely not. But here's what I'm not going to do. I'm not going to spend my time and energy and continue to harp on the negativity negativity that we already know exists. Instead of that, let's just focus on our own product. Let's focus on maximizing the eyes on the NLL instead of continuing to further the relationship between the two leagues, because to be honest, we need to get closer. Yep. I agree. Uh, my thumbs down. Maybe this is a, an anal um, OCD thing. Why do people write scores backwards? In turn, like how, like, what do you mean? Like I, I know they like teams want to put like the home team first and the visiting team second, because they're tweeting from their team accounts. But like, so, you know, for for example, a team would write Panther City 12, or like we lost to, to it's coming from a Panther City account. Game over, we lost to Colorado 12 to 14. Is that just me and and my weirdness in my brain where when I look at a team writing a score and they put the low score first? Well, I mean, if if it's in a graphic, I to, I get it. I guess like you have that already made, so you're not going to switch it around. But if you're writing it in a tweet or in an article, like un, unless it's soccer, even that, that. I, I I but hey, they do it. That's that we're, we're we can't be North Americans, and you will assimilate to what we want. Um, no, we're not going to do that. That that is what it is. But yeah, if you write that like. That does drive me nuts. It's, yeah, and it's, it's sweet, right? You're like, you know, we scored a goal. It's our third in the row, but we trail dot, dot, dot. And then it says like 2-7. Yeah, that's not right. I don't no. get it. 
It's, no. Okay, that's just my weird brain that always wants things cohesive and symmetrical. I just don't understand why teams write if they're the home team then, or whoever it is, they write the low score first. It just it boggles my mind. But I'm weird like that, Pat. I can't no, help. Fair, you. fair complaint. Fair Thank complaint. You. Thank you. Appreciate it. Um, we talked about Snapdragon and what it's going to mean to the National Cross League and what this event is going to be all about. Steve Govett, Cam Holding, Joe Sai, and the entire NLL and SEALs organization have been working tirelessly to put this on. The weather hasn't been great this week in San Diego, but all forecasts point to sunshine in America's finest city. The stadium showdown and Steve Govett right here on the Off the Crossbar podcast. Of course, the big event is this weekend is the stadium showdown. The man who's been behind a lot of the efforts to make this happen is SEALs president, World Lacrosse board member, Canadian Lacrosse Hall of Famer, and a total freaking legend, Steve <laughs> Govett. What's up, buddy? How are you guys? We are good. You're What's busy. Happening? You're busy, I imagine. You know what? I am not as busy as some of uh, the staff here. So um, guys like Cam Holding, who does the heavy, heavy lifting on a ton of special projects for the SEALs, um, has been working hard, but uh, amazingly is going to try and sleep overnight <laughs> Friday night before he plays at 1.30. So <laughs> is this like I will not game? have him to abuse yeah. um, all through the night as we're setting up. Is this like his baby? Because I remember you know, a couple years ago when the Miramar conversations happened and there was talks about you know maybe trying to put a game on an actual beach. He was really spearheading a lot of this for you guys, you know, what actually has he been doing? Because, you know, you don't usually see players in this type of role leading up to a game. Yeah. I mean, he's evolved into uh, such an amazing kind of ambassador for who we are. And, and the seals have kind of been at the forefront of trying to figure out a lot of different um, initiatives here in San Diego. And, and so Cam came on board as a special projects coordinator uh, and it, it's funny because every time somebody looks at me and says special project, um, it ends up in Cam's lap. So I will tell you that his he has been at the forefront and he's been the tip of the spear on just about everything we do uh, for this outdoor game, for a practice facility, for a new arena. For He's, he's been uh, a jack of all trades and, and I, you know, um, I don't want to tell him this during contact contract negotiations, but he's pretty invaluable. So, <laughs> um, so let's talk logistics. How are you guys building a stadium or an arena a box in a stadium? Uh, great question. So it, this goes back a ways, right? And without getting into the, the genesis of the idea, which we can talk about that a little later, but, um, we were approached about, I don't know, about a year ago by the SDSU women's lacrosse team. And for those of you that don't know, SDSU women's lacrosse, uh, Kylie White is a head coach, uh, Canadian. Um, and then Taylor Gate, uh, who is Gary's daughter and proud Canadian, uh, American Canadian, uh, 
is they were like, hey, we want to help promote the world championships in 23. They're taking place at Snapdragon as well. We get to play a couple games uh, out of the year. Would you guys be interested in partnering with us and doing something together? Uh, and I jumped all over the chance to do it because it's it was the opportunity for us to to bring this dream that I've had for a number of years to try and do an out game uh, for the National Lacrosse League. And and that dream really hasn't materialized. Always wanted to do it in Denver at, at Dick's Sporting Goods Park where the where the soccer team plays. But Denver weather is a very fickle monster um, and and can change on you very quickly. And so it's it's kind of funny. There's a lot of lacrosse being played all around the country in snowstorms and, you know, wind and rain and, and all sorts of elements. And us soft National Lacrosse League guys can't play with any level of moisture. <laughs> it's kind of funny, actually, when you think about it. Uh, all these guys play college lacrosse somewhere. And, and ultimately, you know, mostly the Northeast where it's frigid temperatures and, and all that fun stuff. But the National Lacrosse League, any chance of moisture and the goalies start crying. So, um, no, it's it's been it's been kind of interesting trying to figure it out. And and uh, oddly enough, San Diego's had this really weird, um, harsh winter, believe it or not. And you guys will laugh when I say San Diego has had a harsh winter. <laughs> yeah. a rain. Um, sometimes somehow the world, I guess, figures out that you know you need uh, water in certain places and somehow this drought that we've been in for many years is getting addressed. So um, it's been that way. And it's, it's really weird. Like I have, you couldn't get the sharp end of a pencil up my butt in the last freaking two months. <laughs> the rain forecast and the water and all this stuff, man, has been crazy. So I did that uh, the, the wind, the weather's going to break tomorrow uh, and uh, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday are going to be awesome. So um, that didn't answer your question. Though. No, not at all. Like, are you guys built like where are the boards coming from? Are you using the natural turf that's in the stadium? Like, like how are we building? This? Okay. So the night before I said SDSU women are playing and they're also playing the day, um, the day after. So our challenge was that we had to build this thing overnight because we wanted to play in the middle of the day uh, because again, if it gets chilly, uh, that very uh, soft San Diego crowd out there doesn't <laughs> want to be in the cold weather in the evening. Yeah. So we wanted to play an afternoon game in the sun. We just thought that was most appropriate. So that means uh, when the women finish playing Friday night, uh, they will exit the field, give or take about nine o'clock, uh, the stadium has a, uh, a decking that goes over the natural grass and that decking is all drivable. Um, they put it down for concerts and whatnot. Right. And then we have our turf has already been shipped over to the stadium. So the turf will go down next and then we'll put the boards on top. So you guys probably remember new England's boards. Yep, um, yep. The SRG group that we're working with uh, has been outstanding uh, but they're the portable boards and they put together like a Lego process. Um, but there's a ton of PVC pipes that support uh, the, the glass. And so we have to put, basically we got to get the turf down. We got to square that up on top of the decking. We got to build the boards. We got to put the glass up. We got to put all the supports around it. Uh, and then we got to clean the glass because it's ultimately going to get messy. 
Uh, and then we're setting up for what could be uh, one of the most spectacular broadcasts that the National Lacrosse League has ever been put on. Um, and just to give a bit of an insight, normally a broadcast for a game in San Diego will cost you 25,000 bucks. Uh, you guys, that's your world, but uh, this broadcast is 250,000. So, and, and you know, the spider cam and a bunch of other fun things that are going to be involved. So that all has to happen. And so if, if you remember uh, the 2015 world championship or world championships of box in Syracuse, mm-hmm. where they put the, they put the uh, state, the uh, arena kind of perpendicular to, you know, the Northwest of, of the building, if you will, we're putting it down in the corner and then we're shooting back towards the stand. So there's, a bunch of scissor lifts that have to come in for the for the broadcast and the camera angles to shoot back towards the crowd, and you know that there was a ton, a ton of thought put into how we were going to pull this off. But uh, literally, we will not start putting turf down until three in the morning once that deck gets down. So um, we got a one o'clock start. Should be fun. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, I've heard that the the broadcast is is going to be spectacular. Uh, a ton of different cameras. You mentioned the spider camera. So if, uh, if you're not able to make it uh, to the stadium, at least if you're sitting at home up here, up North, um, you're going to get the full experience. Now I have to ask, I know the forecast looks great. Is there any sort of contingency plan if there is uh, inclement weather? Well, I mean, I would only tell you that a good plan a means that you don't have a plan B. So um <laughs> We have, we have a, uh, we have a weather contingency plan. Uh, I would tell you that it, it's not going to matter once we kind of feel pretty good about where we're at, but you know, look, if, if we do get some rain, uh, then we're going to see what the national looks, national cross league looks like outside. Awesome. I love it. I love it. That's the answer I was hoping to hear. Um, We talked about, you know, the, genesis of this idea and it started with miramar uh we've done the game the you know that inaugural game in vegas and and now we're finally getting the outdoor game is how relieved are you that it's finally here (laughs) i'm super excited i I think cam and myself and all the people in our in our organization that that have had a hand in planning this um it's super exhilarating and it's it's fun to be a part of um, you know, a national lacrosse league first and, and doing the game in Vegas was a heavy lift. Uh, this is a heavy lift. Uh, the Vegas game, you know, led to us bringing in a new partner uh, and new ownership into the national lacrosse league with, with all of the, the great ownership and, and a new team there that is a ton of fun to watch, which let's talk about that. But mm-hmm. um, I think that, you know, what we're super excited about is just how this has all come together. And, yeah, we, we tried to do this on Miramar, which would have been, if you imagine all the stuff I just explained that we had to do at Miramar, we were actually going to build the arena with like yeah. seating and bleacher seating and all that type of stuff in a 5,000 seat set. And that would have been awe inspiring if we had pulled it off. We also tried to talk about doing that at a beach site um, on the strand in Coronado that that was fun. And, um, like I said, I always wanted to do it in Denver and, and couldn't find a way to do it. You know, Miramar was the first casualty of COVID because they're yeah. repatriating flights back to uh, 
the air base uh, and the Marine base there in, in Miramar. Uh, and so crazy how telling that was for the rest of the world. Um, and this is three years later and we still had the passion to do it. Joe was really excited about doing it. Um, Snack Dragon Stadium is just an awesome um, venue uh, for this to happen. And it's a great preview uh, not box lacrosse, but a great preview for the world championships mm -hmm. in June uh, that will open with Canada versus the U S on June 21st. So, you know, it's just, it's uh it's a great venue for lacrosse. Uh, San Diego is a great market for the world to come see lacrosse. And, and we're excited to put on a show this weekend. It doesn't have to be you guys, because uh, I know how much hard work you guys put into it, but maybe next year, the year after that, possibly an annual event. Do you think, we could see, um, you know, other teams, other franchises host uh, more outdoor games and kind of have it like how we you know, have the Winter Classic or the the Stadium Series in the NHL. Yeah, Pat, I think it's a fun question because uh, Brett Fruit and I talk a lot, Brian Lemon and I talk a lot, and we've all have kind of ideas in our head about where this could go. We've already had a number of teams – uh, paying attention to what we're doing and talking about, okay, how can we do this maybe later in the year in April, May type timeframe and in the national lacrosse, maybe the last game of the year. Um, you know, I mean, there's been a ton of that conversation. I would also tell you that we've all, we've already started thinking about, could we do it in another country? Um, you know, could we do it, you know, overseas? Mm -hmm. um, we, you know, Teddy remembers a day when we took a bunch of players to, Melbourne, Australia to, to play a game in, in Melbourne. And I, you know, I had a, a fun hand in that and, and uh, executed that, which was no less a heavy lift because there was no hockey in Australia at the time and no boards existed. So, um, you know, I think there's, there's the sky's the limit. So I really would like to see it continue. I think there's a lot of people in the national lacrosse league that want to see it continue. I would tell you that having Joe Tsai as an owner, is probably the biggest single reason that we could do it because, mm -hmm. you know, his vision for the opportunity to create lacrosse on a grand scale uh, allows us to have the vision to, to, to think outside the box and think bigger than just simply putting games on in the arena. So, um, you know, credit to him for challenging us every day to, to come up with ways that we can promote the game in a different structure. So NLL to China in 2027. Yeah, I don't know if it's China so much as maybe some other places, but uh, uh, there's there's not a ton of market in China. Yeah. We'll see, but uh, Hong Kong, Thailand, like those all are groups that are starting to you know really embrace um, the game of lacrosse. So there are tons and tons of options. Let's talk, let's you mentioned it. This Vegas team is fun to watch, um, and and you guys were the new kids on the blocks a few years ago, and you guys had an incredible expansion season and now vegas under sean williams is doing the same thing how nice is it to see and panther city was a great example last year as well these teams that are now coming in as expansion teams having success and putting a winning product on the floor yeah i think it's a testament to and first of all yes you know bob hanley tracy kaluski did an amazing job with panther city and then and you watch what sean williams and cody mall and uh, you know, all of their staff um, in in Vegas are doing a, gr a great job, Mark Fine, and, and putting on that show there. Uh, but I, what I think it's a true testament to is the 
legacy of the National Lacrosse League for the long term, right? It's we, we have a tried and true format. We have an amazing platform. And bottom line is we have a great product. And that product is our players. Um, and those players, no matter who they are or where they are, come into a culture in the National Lacrosse League and are instantly embraced uh, into that culture, no matter you know whether you're U.S., Canadian, Haudenosaunee, doesn't matter. Um, what I'm super proud of is how fast these teams can get up to speed, how fast they build culture, um, and how fast we've integrated kind of Western expansion in a proper and appropriate way. Maybe a much different than we did, you know, in the in the 2000s, where we may have expanded too quickly and it wasn't for the right reasons and it wasn't done uh, methodically. Uh, where this this opportunity. Um, to you know, advance to Vegas uh, and and potentially beyond um, under the leadership of our now you know new commissioner Brett Fruit, I, I think I think we're well on our way to kind of real positive momentum in the National Lacrosse League. I want to flip to your guys' team and and you know six and two sitting atop of uh, of the West, uh, but it's been a, a kind of a weird season for you guys, only playing eight games so far seems like everyone else has played a ton of games just not a lot of flow and I mean you could kind of even say so the same thing for the product on on the floor like you guys are six and two but I feel like you guys are just scratching the surface when it comes to your potential what would your assessment of the year be so far yeah I, I think you're bang on I do think that it's been a, it's been a bit of fits and starts with regards to our not not only in game right playing a 60 minute game where we kind of blow teams out in the first half and then we take a vacation for the rest of the, the game, uh, you know, or we have a game and then we're off for a week and then we're back on for a week. I mean, let's face it. The bottom line is in order to be successful in the national Cross league, you have to peak at the right time. You have to have great goaltending and you have to have, you know, offensive players that step up in, in big moments. Um, I think you check the box definitely on, offensive players that will step up in the big moments when the chips are down. And I think we're, you know, if we're six and two today, uh, based on where we are schedule wise, uh, I think, I think, you know, our best is yet to come. We haven't, we all know, uh, our locker room knows it, our, our players, our staff, our coaches, we all know that we haven't hit our stride yet. We haven't played our best lacrosse yet. Look out when we do, um, because I think that there's some, some amazing firepower, uh, but we have to settle into a routine, and I think our defense is pretty solid. And uh, obviously, Chris Arriglieri is emerging as you know kind of a, a quality starter in this league. Um, but it's going to take him a little bit of time to get comfortable. Uh, but those breaks are over. Um, this game, this uh, this uh, outdoor game, is kind of the start of the second half of our season, and it's all downhill from here, right? Like we're we're running downhill. Every week we got a we we go to Saskatchewan. We got a back to back with Panther City and Buffalo. Like uh, we're going to be playing some lacrosse and and not kind of start and stop. So honestly, I think the best is ahead for us. Uh, we're pretty excited about who we are, uh, and we're sitting at the top of the West right now at six and two, and we haven't played good lacrosse yet. Um, I want to switch gears a little bit. Six days ago, you treat you tweeted out, "Damn." the NLL is a great product. And it was right in the middle of the PLL championship series. As a member of the... It was right in the middle of the National Lacrosse League season. 
True. Exactly. <laughs> Point. As a member of the World Lacrosse Board uh, and the NLL Board, as well as a fan of lacrosse, what did you think of the PLL Sixes event? Yeah, it was funny because that whole day I was watching. I, I kind of pick Wednesdays to watch game film, and um, I usually watch a lot of games. They're on in our office all the time, and I spend a lot of time watching NLL product. Um, you know, I'm watching uh, a Vegas team and a, and a Colorado team, and a, you know, all all these guys playing some amazing lacrosse all day long. Um, and then the PLL came on. And as a matter of just simple comparison, I looked at our product. And when I say product, I, I really mean our players in the National Lacrosse League. And I just sat back and I went, damn, our players are good. Like to do what they do in the confines and the spaces that they do it in uh, and to watch players kind of play and goaltenders making the acrobatic saves. And when you you literally have a four by four net. It's not four by four. I know, but like 16 square feet, 17 square feet. And you've got to put the ball in 17 square feet with a goalie that's taking up 12, you know, uh, 20 square feet, you know, and in comparison to uh, the outdoor game. And when you watch college lacrosse, when you watch the PLL, what, what you watch, whatever. And, and I our guys are so good across the board. The national mm -hmm. lacrosse is so good. So deceptive in their shooting so acrobatic escapabilities off the charts are, are, you know, the toughness, the, all the things that we portray, the, the backdrop of the PLL championship just simply gave me a comparison in real time on that day mm -hmm. to say, damn, our NLL product is really good. Um, and it wasn't a commentary on the national crossing. I was not subtweeting as some people might suggest, but at the end of the day, in comparison, it gave me the backdrop, and I really love the National Lacrosse League and our product. Um, I love Sixes. I think Sixes was great. I think Sixes at the World Games uh, was fantastic. I think J watching Japan in the summer play Sixes was awesome. Um, I think watching, obviously, Team Canada, which was very well put together and very well coached by Brody Merrill and John Grant Jr. in the summer, uh, Jordan Hall, um, those guys were fabulous and, and they had game planned and they had practiced and they had prepared. Um, and, and so when I watched the PLL, I saw a bunch of outdoor players trying to play box lacrosse um, with a big six by six net. And I, I would tell you, and Paul Rabel and I texted about this afterwards. I don't love the two point line because I think it devalues um, quality goals. And I think, why mm -hmm. would you move the two point line in when the shooters haven't got worse and you took long out of the game. Right. Yeah. So I would keep the two point line the same as they have it in the, in the PLL games. And I would, you know, I would take it out altogether. And one thing my son pointed out to me was, uh, you know, basketball, you go from two points to three points in, in, in the NBA or college basketball. And that's only like a 30% increase in the value of a three point shot. Whereas, in, in if you put a two point shot in lacrosse, you're increasing it like a hundred percent the value. Mm. So one to two is a hundred percent increase. So, right. you know, I, I just think it devalues the good goals. And then the whole point of, of pinpoint shooting in sixes is to get inside. If you watch the way the Canadians played in the summer, 
their whole offense was designed to get one, two guys shooting close in tight and scoring every time they shoot. And then having three guys get back on defense to stop the break against. Um, so it was pure genius as to how they set it up. But um, yeah, it was not intended to be inflammatory. It was really in support of the national lacrosse league in the middle of our season to say, this product's good and mm -hmm. we should be proud of ourselves for putting it together. You guys should be proud of yourselves for getting to call it every day. Um, and, and I think, you know, from top to bottom throughout the national lacrosse league, we should be proud of what we're putting out there as a product. You mentioned the 2023 world games in June in San Diego, um, the largest attended world games ever, 30 countries, 87 games. How much of a spectacular is this going to be? Well, we're really excited about it. I would tell you that I've been involved in some of them for a long time. And in 2014 was a heck of a lot of fun um, in Denver um, at, at Dick's Sporting Goods Park. And it was it was really cool. I think this is going to be next level with regards to the broadcast capabilities and the number of games that are going to be broadcast on ESPN. Uh, you know, the quality of the of the teams at the top. I think obviously Haudenosaunee keeps pushing the envelope. But here comes Japan. Uh, as wanting to be a part of the, the discussion, um, you know, an ever presence, you know, in the background is this USA Canada rivalry that just won't go away. Um, now the world games have come and gone. What's the next process for sixes and the Olympics? Yeah, I think it's um, it's an exciting time to be in lacrosse, and I think we all have to kind of stay tuned. Um, you know, we've made our presentations. Uh, we have spent a lot of time, energy, resources, and preparing for that. Uh, the, the U.S. Olympic Committee and LA28 are considering all of the applications. I think you have two very strong applications in flag football backed by the NFL mm. and, um, and cricket. Which, oh. uh, so at the end of the day, um, we have stiff competition, but uh, we feel good about where we're at. We feel good about where the game is at. Uh, and we feel good about being in the shadow here in 23 uh, of the LA 28 Olympics. And, and, you know, hopefully they make the right decision. We're hoping that as well. And, um, you know, I, I, I know the focus has been on uh, the, you know, the, the upcoming championships and you mentioned the Olympics, but I know a lot of folks up here up North are curious where are we at in regards to the 2024 world indoors? Yeah. Good question. I, we just voted on that the other day. I'm not going to steal the thunder of our, of our okay. PR group. And, and so the 24, uh, world box championships are alive and well and, and ready to go. Um, I would say that, you know, Pat, you might not have to travel too far. So, uh, <laughs> all right. <laughs> I like to hear that. The end of the day. Um, you know, I mean, the indoor championships or the box championships are, they're kind of an interesting dynamic because, you know, Canada is so far and away, uh, the favorite in these mm -hmm. games, um, uh, that it makes it challenging, um, you know, to create a sustainable model uh, outside the U.S. and Canada. And, you know, especially when, you know, if you look at NFL, like there's no world championship of American football, right, or Canadian football. There's no world champ because the NFL is so dominant in what they're doing. Um, 
that it's maybe, you know, a world championship. We're, we're just too far ahead of ourselves right now. And, and it's fun, but if you don't have, you know, competition at the highest level and I, I you know, Oh seven, the Haudenosaunee Iroquois at the time took us to, to overtime. Um, but since then it's, it's not been close. And so, you know, we, we just have to continue to focus our attention on trying to find a way to develop other countries, develop the box game, which is, as you guys know, and as I know today, as I build a box, you know, on a, in a football stadium, uh, infrastructure is a challenge around the country and money fun, you know, funds to function in this world to have boxes to play in and to have equipment to play box lacrosse for both men and women um, presents a challenge for a lot of these national governing bodies uh, and the cost associated with now three disciplines and six world games right because now you're talking about men and women um, and you're talking about u21 which changing because of covid but like that's a lot of championships and it's a lot for the lacrosse world to to spend. I mean, players are having to spend ten thousand dollars of their own money to get there. Um, and it's tough. And so when you look around at, at, you know, Canadian lacrosse having to figure out how to raise millions of dollars a year um, and, you know, and the Haudenosaunee who have only two thousand players to draw from. And the list goes on and on of challenges that we face for the world box championships, you know, in light of the evolved, you know, the evolution of sixes, um, you know, and, and, a, and a focus to get into the Olympics. It's a heavy lift for world lacrosse. So that's a long answer. And I don't know that I answered your question. I apologize, but there's so many factors, so many kind of competing. Yep. That it's not just simply saying, Hey, how can we put on a tournament um, where, you know, I know what our budget is for the 2023 world championships and it's, you know, let's call it mid seven figures. Um, there's not a lot of entities in the world in lacrosse that can host an event that can outlay that type of cash to put on a world-class event that is worthy of Olympic contention. Yeah, very well said. Uh, you got a lot of things going on in your back pocket. Uh, we appreciate your time as always, my friend, hopefully all of the equipment arrives, the weather gods are in your favor um nick Acello doesn't do anything bad on live tv um and uh enjoy the game this weekend i appreciate that the good news is it's tape delayed so. <laughs> very no, true. it's, it's going to be special and i think it's going to be special for the whole league i mean it's, this is mm -hmm. not just a san diego initiative um this has been kind of a labor of a lot of people uh, and I'm, I'm pretty proud to, to just be able to stand shoulder to shoulder with a lot of people in the National Lacrosse League that are going to support this event, support this game, and, and have it live up, live up to all of our expectations. So um, I appreciate you guys having me on, and thanks for the time, and, and uh, we'll, we'll see how it goes. All right, Steve Govett, uh, just an incredible conversation. We never even got to talking about U.S. lacrosse players, um, you know, infecting the NLL with their brilliance. Uh, we also didn't even talk like U.S. Boxler, NCBS, and the growth of all that down uh, below the 49th parallel. But great conversation. Um, we kind of teased it off the top. We didn't want to steal Steve's thunder. But just the amount of money that's going into this game that Josiah and his people are putting in, the amount of money that's going into the World Games in 2023, you just – 
I don't really understand. I don't think people understand the amount of hard work and money that goes into these types of events. And we said it since day one, Josiah was going to do amazing things for the game of lacrosse and he's not holding back. So um, thanks to Steve. I'm interested, interested to see where the world indoors are and what the plan for that is. He kind of teased it saying you wouldn't have to travel far. So um, I'm guessing maybe GTA Buffalo upstate New York ish. Um, but uh, that is a massive endeavor and project for them to, to get off the ground. So we got to get through the world first uh, and then we will get towards the world indoors in 2024. I've got a, I think what we need to do is have Steve on like biannually because we we've had every time we have had him on, it's like a long interview and he likes to talk. Yeah. Of course, but it's great. Like, yeah, let him always. cook. Let him always. cook. You ask one question, you'll go. But we always have these long interviews with him, and then we look at our notes, and we're like, shoot, we didn't even bring this up. Yeah. So I think we got to have him on at least a couple times a year, and it's almost like his State of the Union where we he, can He'll be like him. our Jamie Dowick with Lax Class. Yes, there you go. Exactly. Right. I like yeah. that. I like that. Uh, all right, week 14 in the National Lacrosse League. Uh, maybe one of the best setup schedule-wise if you're a fan of watching lacrosse. Uh, one game Friday, five games Saturday, including a, a morning game and an afternoon game, and then the Monday nighter. Uh, you've got the TSN game of the week in Halifax, Buffalo and Halifax, 3.30 p- uh, p.m. Pacific time, 7.30 Atlantic. Can Halifax take advantage of a banged-up Buffalo and get back into the hunt for first place? It's going to be tough, man, because Buffalo has proven, you know, they are a deep team and Dane Smith can continue to produce no matter who is playing in that lineup up front. With that being said, though, this is a massive opportunity for Halifax to prove that they're more than just, you know, a a playoff team, a a fourth or even a third seed in the East. If they want to get back into the thickest things, this has to be a win here. And you mentioned it. It's it's a big opportunity. It's not like Buffalo at full strength rolling in to Halifax. There's a lot of injuries, but they're still a good team. I think we will learn a lot about this group after Friday evening. Are they still a team that has championship aspirations or are they just a solid team? We'll find out after this game, I truly believe. Was it not you that said last week or the week before that if you're Halifax, you would rather see Buffalo in the first round over Toronto or Rochester? Uh, I, not necessarily Rochester. No, Rochester, but, but Toronto for sure. Toronto for sure. Toronto yeah. for sure. I totally agree. And let's see if 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 that is the case. Yeah. So let's see if they match up better with Buffalo than they do Toronto. I think Toronto is a, a matchup nightmare for them. I think they might be able to slow down the offense a little bit with their D. And I think that, you know, they're, it, it, again, as, as, as many times when we're talking about Buffalo, even though this is probably the least that we've talked about Matt Vince in a season for a long yeah. time, Great. it's going to be about a hot start. If they can get to Matt Vince early, I think it's going to be an easier night. If, First quarter, they're flogging shots where Matt Vince wants to see those shots. He's gobbling them up. They have no problem. Buffalo's pushing the pace in transition. 
it could be a long night in the Maritimes. I do agree. Saturday, uh, if you like early morning lacrosse on the West Coast, get at it. New York at Philadelphia, 8.30 a.m. Pacific time, 11.30 a.m. Eastern at Wells Fargo. A huge weekend for the Wings, but can New York build off of that OT loss? We talked about them earlier. This is a, you know, if New York is going to go on that run that you said, it has to start right here. But if you're Philadelphia, you look up above you in the schedule and you see, okay, Maybe we can catch Halifax. We've got some games in hand. we got to start winning games, and it's got to start now. And New York, Philly, maybe not as always entertaining close games as Philly and Georgia, but these are two teams that are going to play exciting lacrosse, and I can't wait to start my day with this one. I think I'm just going to be landing from Halifax at this time. So um, You're flying game day? Oh, you're flying back home. Back right. home, yeah. Yeah, back home. Duh. So, duh, yeah. Um I'm excited for this one. And I think that it's two teams that desperately want to win, but I think they're not necessarily both desperate. Like I think New York has, is at a point in the season where they're like, why not? Why not us go on Mm -hmm. right now? Whereas Philly's like, we have to win this game. Yeah. Good point. Good point. We have to win this game. And I, I, I just, for, for me, a desperate team is 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 usually a good thing, but sometimes a desperate team going up a team that has not much to lose can be a recipe for disaster. I don't know what we're going to see. And this is a huge, 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 huge prove it mo- moment for Philly, similar to what we're seeing with Halifax. Yeah. If, uh, Vegas, San Diego, the Joe Seibel, the stadium showdown, the outdoor indoor game. Um, I'm very interested to see what happens. We talked to Cooper Perkins on coast to coast this weekend. And I asked him, who does he start? And he said, Chris Origlieri. Um, Do you think they have a leash on him or do you think they try to let him run with it? I, I honestly wish, I wish I had, had an answer for this one. I really don't know. I really don't know. I think they have a lot of belief in the, in this young goaltender. And I, I think, there will be a pretty long leash, but I don't know. I really don't know, man. Um, San Diego has what won four or five after starting zero and four. Um, this has been an incredible turnaround by Sean Williams and his crew, uh, led by Jack Hanna and Zach Greer and Landon Kells between the pipe. And this 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 is very similar to what Panther City did last year. Steve Govett said it, you know. Mm-hmm. You, you kind of struggle in your first few weeks getting your feet wet. But once you start rolling and things start clicking and that positive belief is in that room, uh, don't count out this Las Vegas team. Uh, they've got some noise to make. So, again, that's the outdoor-indoor game, the stadium showdown, 130 Pacific down at Snapdragon, 430 Eastern. Rochester at Toronto, the battle for tops, in the East, a massive game. Um, sneakily, maybe the game of the weekend? This one is super, super interesting for me because Rochester, again, like with, with, with Rochester, it's they're, they continue to prove people wrong. Like I still don't think they're getting the credit for what, what they I are. I agree. I agree. 
Like I really don't think so. I think people are just expecting them to to go on a on a slump. They had those two losses in a row, but they figured things out since then. And in Toronto, I mean, how can you doubt this team right now? Uh, top to bottom, hottest team in the NLL. I don't even know if this is sneakily the best game of the week. I think this is the best game of the week. I really do. Georgia at Albany, 4 p.m. Pacific, 7 p.m. Eastern. Can the Swarm do it back-to-back? Can they blow out Albany in two straight games? Or do we see a better performance from the Albany Firewolves, who will be wearing some real nice jerseys? Mm -hmm. Yeah, the, those jerseys are awesome. Uh, head to their social media, check them out. Um, Sidebar, so check out Toronto's Indigenous jerseys as yes. well. Uh, they're wearing ones as well. Those are when when the, when teams do Indigenous jerseys in our league, they do it right. Oh yeah, they're they're beautiful. I don't think the Rock are wearing them this week. Oh, is, it, um, is it two weeks? I think in a in a few weeks, yes. But um, doesn't change the fact that they're beautiful jerseys. Um, they're going to be, yeah, they'll wear them, um, on their heritage, um, next Saturday, Saturday. Uh, uh, indigenous heritage night against Albany. So, um, <laughs> they'll be wearing those would be kind of cool if maybe Albany wears theirs because the rocks are wearing off colors. Yeah. Yeah. They're wearing white. So maybe we see both. Um, but back to, back to the game. Um, I don't really want to decide about this game until I see, who's going to be on the active roster because I think of course, yeah, that was an embarrassing loss. Um, what Georgia did was, was impressive, but Albany was missing a lot of key pieces yeah, to that true. defense. Right. So that's if those true. guys are back, I think the gap will be closed, but even with them in the lineup, the way that they've played, I have not much confidence that they're going to be able to turn this thing around. So, but if they, they do go the, get those veterans back, there's no reason why we at least don't see a better effort because with, with guys like Downing guys like Manning in the lineup, like they're going to expect that the least that you can do is give a hundred percent. You might lose games. You might get at skilled games, but those guys demand that they will not be outworked and, and they were outworked. They were outskilled. They were outplayed. They got ran out of the arena last game. And I think that also, should motivate Albany to be like we were emasculated last game. We need to be better. So uh, I'd be interested to see that. Um, congrats, Brett Manny. Uh, just had a baby um, this past week. So I believe that's why he wasn't in the lineup this past week and was uh, there he you was go. a new addition to the family. So uh, congratulations to him and his partner on welcoming a new baby girl. Uh, final game on Saturday, Saskatchewan at Panther City, five Pacific. And that's at seven central Texas night forever down there in Fort Worth. Uh, this is a massive game in the West as we get two teams um, that are probably going to be battling as it sits right now. Like I, this might be even a battle for third place. I think just percentage wise, it would put Panther city on seven wins. If they win, they'd be seven and five. Sask would be five and five. So a, a massive moment here. For the club. This is probably two teams that are going to come into this game pretty pissed off, I'd imagine, too. I think especially Saskatchewan, they felt like they probably let one uh, out of their fingers mm-hmm. uh, in 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 at home against Vancouver. And on the flip side, I know Panther City played, you know, a very quality team in, in Colorado, but they 
now don't hold the tiebreaker against a team that they're going to be battling for playoff position. So they can't afford to lose any more um, season series. So this is a huge one. I, I think, I know I said for sure Toronto Rochester game of the week. Um, if it's a one, a one B or a one, two, this one's certainly close for me. We kind of talked about it, but we didn't really dissect it. Robert church. zero for 19 like that. It was, it was remarkable. Uh, yeah. I, 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 I couldn't believe it. I kept looking down at the game sheet during that game, and I mentioned it a few times that he had 19 shots, zero goals. 19 shots on goal, by the yeah. way. Yeah. Um, he couldn't buy. He couldn't buy, not buy one. Bold had him in his back pocket, and we talked about how good Bold was. Like he he yeah. was phenomenal. Um, uh, <laughs> they they just they really didn't have an answer for him outside of maybe Mark Matthews, who it seemed like whenever he wanted to score, he was scoring. Um, but he, that was a very frustrated offense. Like they mm-hmm. were super frustrated and let's not take away anything from the defense as well. Warriors played right. Um, they played per- a perfect game, almost was, a near perfect game against Saskatchewan style wise and style. Yeah. Yeah. hundred percent. Kudos to them. Um, Let's see the bounce back and, and let's see, the, let's see the bounce back between, from between the pipes, whether yeah. it's bouquet penny, like, is this now where we're going to see the wheels start falling off of, uh, of bouquet? Like, yeah, he's been yanked what twice now in the last two starts. Yes. And karma, baby. Yeah. Up an F bomb on national TV. Karma going to get you. We're going to get you. I'm, I'm kidding aside, but it is. He has been pulled in two straight games since that moment in Vancouver. So I agree. Um, is it a chink in the armor for him? Is it a blip on the radar for the rush? Do they bounce back? But how does Panth- Panther City bounce back after an emotional loss in Colorado this past weekend? Uh, the final game. We all get Sunday off. Chance to watch the final round of the Honda Classic. Uh, a chance to recover, regroup, and then get ready for Monday Night Lacrosse. The second game of the weekend for both Toronto and Philadelphia. Uh, again, we are hosting our NLL watch party on ESPN Plus and TSN Plus. Um, if Philadelphia loses both games this weekend, does that cripple any chance they have? I think so. I, I really do. Yeah. Um, well, it also depends on what happens with Halifax. but Of course. Uh, Obviously predicated on what happens above them, but it doesn't help their chances at all. Obviously losing two games no. um, within your division. No, no, sorry. No, it would be a backbreaker for sure. It would have to make the climb up the hill even, even tougher. Um, But on the flip side with Toronto uh, could be a very important game for them. Um, If Rochester picks up a win, if Buffalo picks up a win, uh, it's it's an opportunity to them for for them to keep pace, or if those teams drop, it's an opportunity for them to really take a strangle. Like if Buffalo loses to Halifax, yeah, and Toronto picks up two wins this weekend, then they jump. They they get a I don't want to say a commanding uh, lead in in first, but they yeah. certainly are sitting pretty because it seems like all three of these teams like they are just neck and neck, obviously with their records, but. Um, it, it's going to be such an interesting race coming down down to it, and a weekend where you could pick up two wins would be massive going forward for the Rock. 
Going into this weekend, Georgia takes on Albany in a rematch of their one-sided blowout last weekend. A big part of that win for the Swarm. Dauber, Brett Dobson joins us. What's up, buddy? How are you? I'm doing good, Teddy. Thanks for asking. I'm excited to be on here. It's always a pleasure when I get to talk to you and Craigie. So I'm excited to be here and you know, chop it up with you guys. It was a big weekend for the Dobson family. Uh, who got more family love, you or your sister, after she dropped a sock trick for Louisville? I think it has to be my sister. You know, Nashville's treated myself and her, right? We had a little bit of a team trip there a week ago, a couple weeks ago. So, uh, you know, but I think she got more love on there. Uh, it's always good when she can, you know, put six up there. I mean, if she keeps this up, she might find her way on the watch list for the Tourton. So I'm excited for her. Um, you know, she's playing on a bad ankle too right now. So I think she's going to get more props than I did because I, I don't have anything really wrong with me. So I got no excuse. <laughs> uh, that's awesome. That's awesome. But, I, I mean, obviously you're downplaying um, – that first win, I know it probably came a little bit later in the season for you guys and and you personally, but how good did it feel to finally get a W in the in the column? You know, it was massive, massive for this group. Um, you know, huge confidence boost for the Swarm just because I think you look at our schedule and, you know, I would argue we played, you know, five of the best teams so far in the league to start the season off and, you know, being able to come out there and kind of have a statement win against Albany is massive. And, you know, the fact that we get to play him again this week, huge too, because, you know, Eddie said it after the game, you know, it doesn't matter if you lose by one or if you lose by 10, it still counts as a loss on the column. And the same thing goes for a win, right? So you got to regroup and make sure you're ready to go this week. And, uh, you know, for us, I think we stuck to our defensive principles and our game plan and, you know, it turned out well. The last, you know, your last few starts didn't really go your way, but you, I, I thought from a non-goaltender's perspective that, you were starting to get a little more comfortable in between the pipes. How has been the adjustment to the pro game? You know, we see a lot of young goalies who have been grown up with the big wood stick between their legs. And now they come to the pro game and they have to adjust to the smaller stick, the bigger nets, the better shooters. How has your adjustment been? And what's been the biggest challenge? Um, I think for me, the biggest challenge so far has been kind of just like, readjusting my body to having all that extra weight kind of, you know, carrying around compared to, you know, playing field. Cause you look at, you know, years past and kind of stuff that was talked about leading up to the draft was, you know, I haven't played box in a while, which is valid because of COVID and that bubble term we had in the PLL summer, right. You can't really play in the summer league. So um, that for me was a little bit of an adjustment. I think that, you know, even dying to your point, I, I'm watching a lot of film back from the very first game I got in against Philly to where I am now, you can just see it's kind of like night and day. And I think that's a lot of, you know, confidence booster for me, just kind of talking with Pooley. Um, Pooley's doing a good job of making sure that, you know, my morale's high, making sure I'm comfortable and confident. And, you know, just kind of watching the film with him, you know, helps me a ton because anytime you get a chance to learn from a guy with the pedigree of Mike Poolins, you know, it's it's going to help you out. And, you know, if you're not learning, I think that's kind of when you start to lose your potential where you're, where you're growing to, right? So um, reaching out to him and, you know, kind of talking with Wardo a lot and Delves, like those guys helped me out a lot just with little nuances that I never really would have thought of from the mental side of things to how you kind of prepare. And, you know, at the end of the day, like, you know, you mentioned it with the Woodies, like you're going to get scored on five hole, right? You, you want to limit how many you get scored on five hole, but at the end of the day, if you can accept that, like it makes your job a lot easier because then you're not getting worked up over those. So, um, but the adjustment's been, you know, at times frustrating. I remember getting in the camp for myself and I was like, damn, like, this is tough. Like first time for the ball sides back on, on junior nets. And I, I just got shredded by the Bonnie's guys when I was back there volunteering. So I was like, oh, I might have to retire. Then I went back the second time. I was like, all right, okay, maybe I still got it. And then it started to get better and better. So the more kind of I've gotten my pads on taking shots midweek and stuff like that, um, you know, I've gotten better with it and feel more comfortable in the big nets. 
Um, and I think that too is, and you know, adjusting to that. I think the defense also takes time to adjust to your kind of style. So I think that kind of game against Albany was one of those ones where the defense did a really, really good job, you know, kind of making sure I could see shots that I liked and making sure I was feeling comfortable out there. When it's a game that is that sort of one-sided for you guys, how, how do you stay focused as a goaltender? Um, you know, we, we kind of take it five minutes at a time, right? There's, you know, every, every quarter has got five, uh, three, five minute increments with, broken up with the media timeouts, right? So, um, for us, it's just five minutes at a time. Every, every five minutes, it's a reset. So you just kind of focus on that. And then, you know, if teams kind of start to get on a run, you know, you focus on that kind of like next shot. That, that was one of the big things that, you know, Wardo talked to me about just, Hey, understand that this is how we kind of break things up and it's going to help a lot mentally. And then over the course of the game, you start to forget about the first 50 and the first 30, right? And you start to kind of focus on the next play, the next shot, and that way your mind's fresh as you go through it. You mentioned you ha- had not played box lacrosse in, in, in quite some time. Um, I heard you you just said you, you were taking some shots with some of the Bonnies guys when you are back there. Um, what else did you do to help you prepare to get ready for camp? Because, you know, there's not too many guys. I mean, there's one, you've mentioned them. Uh, Dylan Ward, who's able to make that seamless transition every year from field to box. Um, but he's not every guy. How were you able to do that? Um, well, it was weird. So like right before camp, we had like that, like team Canada, uh, I think it was like tryout session in Oshawa. So mm-hmm. I remember I would go, so we, uh, I was back at Bonnie's volunteer and living there with the guys. So I would go to the, uh, ACC on the Salamanca res, take shots two or three times a week. Um, with all the bonnies guys, just because you know they're they're a relatively motivated group that wants to get better, and that Mernsey's big on preaching guys having goals and dreams. And so, by me going out there, bringing a bunch of guys, especially some American guys, introduce them to the box game, like that was huge. Um, just to see the ball. But for me, like I remember that week, like I, I was taking box shots, and I went and took field shots. I was like, no, I'm not doing this. So I'm not taking field <laughs> box shots this week. Then we'll just go straight box. But um, between that and, you know, working with my strength and conditioning coach at Bonnie's just to work on a lot of the muscles that I might use, start kind of training a bit more like a hockey goalie a bit in a sense. And um, I felt like some of those exercises actually really helped me get my kind of conditioning and cardio back, which is great. Um, you know, we got a great strength and conditioning coach down there at Bonnie's, Darren Fisk. He's a beauty. He's all in on the lacrosse guys. Like once all the boys got drafted, like he's got like he's got a bandits flag up in the gym now. I got to send him a swarm one. He's going to have a bunch yeah. of frames so yeah he, he he's all in so he was a big factor i think for me and even just talking with mernsey like mernsey is a great guy to talk to you know i'll talk to him once or twice a week now about lacrosse but like if i'll talk to him about a little more mental side it's like hey like man i'm struggling with this stuff he's like well you know like vino back in the day would do this and that and just kind of go through the thing so he's seen a lot of you know a lot of box in his time right so i think for him focusing on that stuff and help me feel comfortable is the biggest thing and i think being comfortable right at times it takes you know it takes a a bit of an adjustment phase, but I felt like when I got to camp, you know, I look at that roster and there's a lot of guys that I played with for the sixes in, in Birmingham. So, um, you know, another Bonnie's guy, Brett Beto kind of made a joke. Like, I know you're a rookie, but you've already met all these guys. So like, it's not really a training camp for you if you really know most of the guys there. So that helped me kind of adjust. And then just kind of just going through the speed of the game and understand that less is more. It goes a long way too. Uh, you mentioned the relationship with, with Mernsey and then you mentioned Matt Vince. It was a kind of cool scene in Buffalo when you got that first start with, you know, you were playing and Vino was playing. Mernsey was on the broadcast. It was like a Bonnie's Canisius reunion. What is that relationship like with, with you and Mernsey? And what was he like as a coach? You know, first and foremost, I mean, Mernsey's one of the biggest beauties out there. There's no secret about that. Right? Mernsey's the man. Um, you no, know, before the game, Mernsey wanted to, because I was texting him, I was like, hey, Mernsey, this has got to be a first for you, right? Like, Vino was kind of like your first big you know, uh, recruit to come out of Canisius. And I think 
when he got drafted to the NLL, I think I was, I saw the stat. I was like five years old when that happened. And now <laughs> you fast forward, I guess what, 18 years later, 17 years later, like now his, I would argue that this is his first Bonnie's recruit to make it out there. Right. So I think for him, it's, uh, you know, it's gotta be a, you know, something special for him. It just shows that, you know, he's able to breed professional lacrosse players. And I think that, you know, my relationship with him over time has just gotten better and better. I mean, originally I wanted to go to Kenesha's because of him. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, the story goes, he kind of goes to me when I was in the recruiting process there because he didn't have a lot of money. Um, but eventually when he went to Bonnie's, I was his first phone call, his first recruit, his first commit. And, you know, kind of felt like the program was going to be built around me in a sense. And being able to have that relationship with Mernsey and understand that, like, hey, like here is what, what we're building. And this is what we're looking to do. And I think you have the perfect mindset and dreams. You know, I, he asked me right on one of my first visit, what do I want to do in life. I told him I wanted to be a professional lacrosse player in the PLL and the NLL. And I also wanted to play for Team Canada and represent Canada in the Olympics. So I think for me, he could buy into that dream and understood that and would help guide me and get me in contact with him. Like he's one of the best guys to know in the lacrosse world because he's like played with everybody or knows everybody. And that's usually how the lacrosse world works, right? Like you look at a lot of guys that um, are on a program, like they've had their dads play in the NLL or, or play with Mernsey on Team Canada and stuff like that or with the Canisius with Mernsey. So I think because Mernsey is the way he is, he's able to get a lot of good players that way. And a lot of people trust Mernsey with their kids in that sense. And they also know that, you know, you're, you know what you're getting out of Mernsey at times you might be a little disorganized, but at the end of the day, he means well. And, you know, he's, he's one of the best guys there is to have out there. And he's always got my back. Like I could, I, I could call him right now and be like, Hey Mernsey, like I'm having troubles with my like finances. Well, could you help me out? And he'd be like, yeah, like, what could I, what, what could I help you out with? Like, here's <laughs> and then like, give me a story from back in the day where he was just like, well, you know, back in my time when I was your age, blah, 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 blah. So it was just perfect. He's always able to relate to the players still. Yeah. It's, it's really awesome to see. I think, you know, you guys are, are you know, well, you know, Bonnie's such a young program, but for a program that hasn't been around for a long time, there's such a sense of pride to be a Bonnie. And I think a big reason if not the biggest reason is because of what coach Mearns was able to establish with that culture. Yeah, hundred percent. And I think that also like it goes from, you know, the time before Mearns even got there, like it's such a small school that like when you see someone that went to Bonnie's, you're like, you're like, you're, you know, him. like you feel like, you know, him perfectly. <laughs> like, I, I remember it was, yeah. I, was, I was working in, um, in New Jersey one summer, um, knocking, do, doing door to door sales with, for some pest control stuff. And, um, you know, I was having a bad day on the doors. Like just getting, I felt bad. We were knocking in Jersey. Like people were a little bit more mean. I wasn't used to people being mean to me. <laughs> and I was just having just a horrible day. And like some lady rolled up past me and like popped my head up. She had the Bonnie's alumni license plate. And I went and, you know, talked to her kind of, you know, helped her with her groceries out the car and kind of just chopped it up about Bonnie's and like made my day a little bit better. So I feel like there's a very tight knit sense of like, you know, a family kind of atmosphere there because of how small it is. And like, you know, you could have gone there 10 years ago. You can still talk about what, you know, where the party houses where where you live, where, which bar you went to and all that kind of stuff is perfect. So I, I make, make sure I make a point of it every time I travel that I have a Bonnie's backpack on just so I can, you know, chop it up with some Bonnie's on if I ever see them in the airport. That's hilarious. Uh, speaking of family environments, obviously the dynamic between goaltenders has to be one of the tightest bonds within a team. How have you gotten along with Craig Wendy? And as you guys push each other to be number one, there's also obviously that battle to be the number one. Um, what's that dam- dynamic like between you two? No, it's a great dynamic. You know, I think Craig and I have a really good routine going. Um, I think that for me, the biggest thing that I understand that I remember when Eddie talked to me after the draft to kind of set this thing straight, like there's going to be times where, you know, I'm going to get pulled, which we've seen at the start of the year for the first couple of games, right? Like 
But my biggest mantra is that like I'm not going to be a bad teammate about it. Neither is Craig. Craig, you know, has been doing a great job of supporting me, helping me out, talking me through situations, trying to calm me down. And the same goes for me when I'm not in. Right? Again, my my thing is if I can't play, I'm going to try and find a way to help the team out any way I can. And if that's you know doing a good job on the door, screaming one, two, three, four for guys coming in, or even just kind of keeping Craig's water cold, then that's going to be my role. Right? So, um, you know, our relationship's been really, really good in that sense. And um, it's always fun when you get a kind of, I feel like for Craig, like he's a little bit older than I am. So I feel like he kind of laughs at, you know, how young I kind of am sometimes and some of the, you know, goofy things I do at such a young age. And I think that, you know, when you're able to have fun that way and kind of loosen things up, I think for us, it's a good dynamic that we have. And, uh, you know, we go through a lot of stuff together, right? So it's not just one person, it's, you know, it's the whole unit. In practice or, or morning shoot around or even warm up, what goes through your mind when Lyle Thompson's getting ready to shoot on you? Uh, I'm probably thinking like, all right, he's probably shooting a certain spot just because, you know, you see a lot of his shots and like even like telling him like, hey, like, you know, I'm seeing this type of thing for your shot. Like maybe we need to change it up sometimes. I remember Eddie asked me to say something like that to him because, you know, just kind of going through it, right, just to kind of develop and understand what a goalie's mindset is. But I think for that, like, it's just a it's pretty surreal. Like I was working a clinic with him uh, last weekend after the game and like just seeing him talk to kids about shooting the ball and, you know, all that kind of fun stuff. Like I think that, you know, I'm still one of those kids that wants to learn what he's talking about. Cause I feel like I grew up in that kind of era where it's like Lyle is above and beyond one of the best players in the world. And like, he kind of came up in that time where, you know, he was up for like an SP him and miles won the tour ton. Right. So uh, it's pretty surreal. And then I laugh at, you know, kind of like Jeremy, I, I, I always joke with Shane, like, you know, he's a lot older than me, but like Jeremy Thompson's older than Shane. So like, I, I feel like he's was like in high school before I was even born. So like that stuff's like, <laughs> But yeah, like it's 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 pretty surreal. But I think for me, just again, just kind of getting in there, getting what I need to feel comfortable and confident moving into the game. Like, I don't need to stop every shot in practice. I feel like, and I that was one of the things I need to understand. Like, I need to focus on proper habits, proper steps to the ball, and you know, kind of just feeling the ball a bit more too. And I think, you know, guys are starting to understand that and what, kind of what I need to get going for games now too. Who was your guy growing up? Like my favorite player to watch. Yeah, as uh, as, as a goalie and then as a player. I got a couple. So goalie, obviously Wardo. Wardo, I think at the time when I kind of started really, you know, focusing on lacrosse was when, um, you know, he had just graduated from Bellarmine. Um, he got drafted, was it third overall to go to Colorado. And then I think the following year was the Worlds out in Denver. So that's when I could really, really start to figure out that, like, hey, this is kind of what I want to do. And this is who I want to kind of, you know, have the same type of tra- trajectory. But there's two guys for me as well. One of them was my old babysitter, John LaFontaine, who plays for uh, the fire. He was your babysitter? Yeah. So my uh, my my mom and my mom or my dad and his mom, um, you know, they had a basketball company together. So he used to like coach myself, Dyson Williams, uh, Sean Wesley in basketball. And he also coached me in minor. Um, so like I remember being around their household, watching him when they were in Edmonton, when they won the cup. And then when they uh, when he was in Sask, too, and they were going through that kind of dynasty. So that was big for me. And then obviously Willie. Um, being my minor coach from when I was, you know, four all the way through 21 with and a junior. So he was kind of like the secondary first guy kind of as well as I went through it. And then Warda was the goalie guy. I just think that, you no, know, those three guys played, um, you know, play, played massive, you know, influences on my lacrosse game and the way I kind of go about things. So I don't think if I was exposed to a lot of things, I was exposed through Willie, Laffy, and even seeing Wardo now, like I don't think I'd be where I am at today. How many fines do you have in the kangaroo court? Uh, I'm good for I'm good for 25 bucks a week. I won't lie. <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'll, they'll find a way. My test scores have been terrible. Uh, <laughs> tests, 
not afraid to throw a social media post up for a luxury or even just <laughs> some flamboyant pregame. So yeah, first, I think first week I got in there, got dinged up for all the bucket hat posts in the PLL season. So that was tough. <laughs> Warrior, uh, warrior post too so that, that that one hurt the bank count a bit but i think i got i, I ended up hurting the rest of the rookies too because i you know warrior was been great we got a, i got a bunch of guys um warrior toiletry bags yeah for christmas and you know it's like well rookies like dauber got us something what are you guys getting so that, that was up for that but uh yeah 25 a week i've just accepted it and if it's like if it's a light week that's like oh i mean thank god i'll save for that <laughs> Jordan Hall is was notorious the the uh, the judge and he carried an iron fist in that locker room. Who has taken over for him since he's been retired? Uh, Brandon Bomberry. Bomber Bomber carries the 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 uh, what's the thing the judge judge holds? The gavel. The gavel. Yeah. gavel in court. Uh, usually it's it's maxed out at twenty. Um, but if you don't have a status card, you're not exempt from taxes, so you got to pay twenty five each week. So you. Oh my God. <laughs> He's done a good job of you know keeping everybody on top of things. And Shane Jackson's our social media um, guy who's, who's going to throw fines out. So yeah, we got a good system going there. It's always you know funny when you're in the court there, and uh, you never know who's going to be safe. Um, last one for you. Did you see the picture Brian Phipps posted? Yeah, uh, after the sixes. Does that make you rethink ever wanting to be a goaltender and field across ever? <laughs> Uh, yes and no. I mean, I think for me, like, I understand that, like, I, my biggest thing actually seen from that PLL stuff was why are the goalies getting like just pelted in practice? Like, I, I know they're getting a good paycheck and like you want guys to get in there, but like, you don't need goalies in there for five yard step downs. Like, if that's not necessarily how you kind of want to go about the sixes stuff. Right. But I do think the like a couple things for why I think that was tougher on the goalies, the indoor facility, I don't think was great. Just I don't know if the lighting was good or not. Like guys were pulling up from the parking lot and nobody really knows how to really play sixes. So that's tough. I saw I believe Phipsy was playing a little bit of a higher arc too. I don't know if that's out outside of what he normally does, just because I haven't really watched film on him in a while. Um, but I think too that like, you know, at, at times it does. I I also kind of like, oh well, usually I wear the sweatpants. I don't think he was wearing the sweatpants. So it's an extra layer of padding sometimes too. <laughs> uh Robert, this has been awesome, man. Uh again, congratulations on your first win uh it's going to be the one of many who knows maybe you get number two this weekend and the rematch against all we appreciate the time man say out all the boys down there in hotland and we'll catch up soon we'll do it take care teddy thanks pat thanks for having me on all right so there's brett dobson um if you haven't seen the picture uh just <laughs> go on to twitter uh b fipper 30 p-h-i-p-p-e-r 30 or just search brian phipps uh it comes up that is the grossest leg I have ever seen in my life. Are you looking it up right now? Is that what you're doing? <laughs> yeah, I'm looking it up right now because I I saw it all, a couple of times, but every time I look, there's a new bruise you find. Yeah, it's it is insane, man. And like kudos, like kudos to these goalies in sixes. And I know, I, like. We spent a lot of time on on the sixes. Say what you will about the game, you have to give a lot of credit for these goalies yeah. for for stepping in uh, with the same amount of of pads that they have in a regular field across game, but they're getting step downs from in Titan. Jeez, man, I I wouldn't be a goalie. I definitely no. wouldn't be a goalie. No. Parlay time. Let's see if we can win some people some money. 
Time now for Box Bets, your source for all the lines, odds, and props from across the world of lacrosse. Brought to you by CoolBet.com. Stay cool, bet responsibly. <laughs> hey, we're having a good day, lads. And uh, we're still in the mix, baby. <laughs> all right, last week, Patty, we, uh, we didn't do well at all. Nope. Nope. So we're not even going to talk about it. Nope. Um, this week, what we got? This week we're keeping it simple, Teddy. Like we're keeping it as simple as can be. There is a unique situation for a couple of teams. Um, but the one team we're going to talk about, the Toronto Rock, they play two games this, I want to say this weekend, but technically it's not this Technically week. it's not. You're right. Two games in week 14, let's say. It's the Toronto Rock, the hottest team arguably in the NL. Let's keep it simple. They're going to stay hot. They're going to win both games. And CoolBet right now have an exclusive price just for you, the Off the Crossbar listeners. Rock to go 2-0 in week 14 plus 175. They're both pretty big underdogs in both – or sorry, favorites in both Thank those you. games. Um, you're getting a good number on that. You're not going to find that good of a number anywhere else besides CoolBet. How do people play along? Well, you go to Cool Bets. You can go to the exclusive tabs, and you're going to find the off the cross parlay right there. Click that little blue button. It'll take you. Place your bet. And, of course, you can see all the NLL odds on the hot events tab as well. Every single game for the week 14 is up now. And, of course, on game day, and you go on, you'll see all the props, all the specials. And Evan Sheminar, fa- uh, big fan, big friend of the program, is a huge fan of the first to score. Oh, yeah, he loves that bet. And he always picks anyone yeah. else. And he's doing pretty good with it. But if you feel that, you know, maybe a Dane Smith opens the scoring – in Halifax, or maybe it's it's Randy Stotts. You'll get better odds on that, but most of the time, it comes out to be anyone else. It's just a fun little prop. It's certainly something that you're not going to be you know funding your mortgage on. But if you want a little extra fun, a little extra juice on some of these games, uh, and sweat out the first goal of the game, that has become one of uh, the most intriguing bets on the many bets that you can find at CoolBet. All right. uh, Trade deadline, March 20th. Full rosters due again, March 23rd. Um, So we'll talk more about that as we continually move along. Uh, We've already kind of maybe hinted Dougie could be on the way uh, somewhere. Um, Before we get out of here, um, the MSL debacles, do we even need to talk about this? No? Okay, perfect. Uh, It is a gong show on Ontario and Senior Lacrosse. Uh, Owen Sound not going to play. Um, they've already lost Oakville. Um, I, I just, I just can't with it. I just can't. I just can't. Uh, thanks to Steve Govett, the total freaking legend, for joining us. Enjoy the games this weekend. Um, Snapdragon Stadium is going to be wild. Um, of course, Monday night, if you got time, join Patty and I, Jack Hanna, Kevin Crowley for the first ever NLL watch party on ESPN Plus and TSN Plus. And thanks to Dauber for stopping by and giving us some time. 
Plenty of games on the schedule this weekend. If you go to a game, take a friend. If you take a friend, take two. And while you're there, buy them a beer. Lacrosse, friends, beer. It's the perfect trifecta. Until we speak again, stay safe and be excellent to each other.